welcome to a classic Lenten edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. You can learn more about the CSB translation when you visit csbible.com. In this next hour, we'll feature segments from our Mole and Studio archives that still add important insights for the season. As we get closer to Holy Week, we hope what you'll find will be used to help you remember and reflect on our Lord's death and resurrection. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this is our Palm Sunday weekend program. Michael, that's not news to you. No, it's not. We've, uh, we've waited all year uh, to come to this time, and hopefully we can help uh, ourselves and help the listeners uh, be ready and not miss Easter this year. You see this a good time to spend in meditation. Oh, it's, it's the best time. I mean, sometimes I think we focus over-focus on Christmas and realize that this is the, the reason we have to rejoice, is what Jesus did for us and what we celebrate on this, this day. In this first half of the program, we're going to hear from the late Dr. Bill Lane, your yeah. mentor, uh, and this will fit right into our Palm Sunday theme right. here. Bill's going to talk to us about the so-called triumphal entry. This okay. was a, a, an element of his presentation of Passion Week. I think that was that was different and uh, and uh, wonderful scholarly background to what so, he has to share. Preparing for Holy Week. Yeah. Well, Michael, sing a song for us. Explain the song, and then sing it, and then we'll hear from Dr. Lane here today. Well, this song came from Dr. Lane's teaching on the triumphal entry. Uh, it's a song called "Ride On to Die." which, uh, as we were talking before, this idea of uh, engaging with uh, the passion of Jesus at the, at the level of the imagination, that's exactly what this song tries to do. All right, we'll hear Michael sing Right On to Die, and then from a studio conversation we had with Bill Lane a few years ago before his home going, mm. the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem The so-called The so-called, triumphal okay, I'll right, yeah. we'll get that right. We'll hear that from Dr. <laughs> Lane in just a moment. Michael sings yeah. Right On to Die. Since the sorrow untold As you look down the road At the clamoring crowd drawing near Feel the heat of the day As you look down the way Hear the shouts of Hosanna the King O daughter of Zion Your time's drawing near Forsake him, oh don't pass it by On the foal of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you, he rides on to die Come now, little foal Though you're not very old Come and bear your first burden bravely Walk so softly upon all the coats and the palms Bear the one on your back, oh so gently Midst the shouting so loud and the joy of the crowd There is one who is riding in silence For he knows the ones here will be fleeing in fear 
when their shepherd is taken away. Oh, daughter of Zion, your time's drawing near. Don't forsake him, oh, don't pass it by. On the foal of a donkey, as the prophets had said, passing by you, he rides on to die. Soon the thorn-cursed ground will bring forth a crown And this Jesus will seem to be beaten But he'll conquer alone both the shroud and the stone And the prophecies will be completed Forsake him, oh don't pass it by On the foal of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you, he rides on to die On the foal of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you, he rides on to You know, Mark is the one who makes so much of the theme of the journey. We hear of Jesus on the road with his disciples, or as Mark would often express it, they were on the way. And finally, in Mark 10, 32 to 34, Jesus announces the goal of the journey. It's Jerusalem. Hmm. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him Flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. It always mystifies me. This is not uh, by any means the first time that Jesus has given them in detail what's going to happen to him. In fact, very early in John, he tells them that he's going to be crucified. Uh, he re- this is a repeated uh, a message that he gives them. Uh, it still mystifies me that they didn't get it, that they seem to have been so surprised when it really happened. Well, I think, Michael, the way to think of the entry into Jerusalem is as a symbolic action, Mm -hmm. a prophetic action, if you please, much like the prophets of the Old Testament would engage in. Mm -hmm. We find the actual account of the entry in Mark 11, 1 through 11. And our listening audience may well want to have that passage in front of them Mm -hmm. as we continue to chat. Let's look at those verses together then. Michael, perhaps you could read that for us. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Then they went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? (laughs) They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it, and many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And Bill, it does sound like a triumphal entry, your question earlier to us. Well, certainly that's the traditional understanding in the church today. And that's why on Palm Sunday, the entry into Jerusalem is considered a moment of enthusiasm, a moment of triumph uh, that then has its own counterparts as Jesus remains in the capital uh, of the Jewish people. The problem is that John makes it absolutely clear that even the disciples did not really understand what was going on. I'm thinking of John chapter 12 and verse 16, which follows a passage much like the one you read, Michael. Mm -hmm. Uh, We read in verse 13, they took palm branches. They went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, and then is the famous passage from Zechariah 9.9. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. But then John gives us a very important insight. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, that is, only after he had been raised from the dead, Hmm. only at a later point in time did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to them. Hmm. And that's a key that should be brought to the text of Mark as well. Mm -hmm. Again, that comes back to the mystery of of all that had led up to this moment, Uh, Jesus' warnings, his solemn warnings about what was going to happen. And uh, they just seemed to be so, uh, you know, clueless. I mean, they're they're oblivious to what's going on. That's a mystery to me. I don't understand. Well, it's not a mystery, Michael, when you consider not one of us wants to be identified with the kind of sufferings Jesus defined as his. Mm -hmm. Flogging, spitting upon, Mm -hmm. being put to death. So he'll tell Peter when those things are going to happen to him, and Peter will say, that will never happen to you, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what we ought to uh, appreciate is the fact that Jesus came to Jerusalem on the occasion of one of the great pilgrimage feasts. I wanted to ask you about the historical background here. Help us. I think this sheds a lot of light on on this text, Bill. Jerusalem was actually a city with a population of about 50,000 people. But on three occasions in the course of a year, that is, on the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall, 
on the occasion of the Passover in the spring, and then fifty days later on the occasion of the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of Harvest, Mm -hmm. what we would call Thanksgiving, that city of 50,000 was swelled by over 200,000 pilgrims. Four times as many then. And so what we're seeing in the Mark and account or in John's account in John 12 is that Jesus comes into the city as part of the pilgrimage of many who were to make, making their way to the capital city. Now, what we need to appreciate is that the greetings, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest, stop short of recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, even if Jesus had not been present, these were words from the great Hallel, Psalms of Ascent, that would have been shared antiphonally by all pilgrims as they were welcomed into the city. Yeah, that's how you would greet someone. You would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and the, the nuance or the overtone wasn't, and you're the Messiah. Mm-hmm. No, it is you are a faithful pilgrim, mm-hmm. and you've come to celebrate the great feast of redemption, you're the one Passover. Of us. You're one of us. Absolutely. So, so you don't feel that Jesus is necessarily being singled out here, Bill? Well, he may well have been recognized as the great prophet of Galilee. And those who came into the city, of course, were not Judeans. They came from the north, they came from the south, they came from the Transjordan region, but they had come through Jericho. And there in the fields of Jericho, which is are, which are below sea level, they had cut reeds and palm branches and so forth, which they carried with them. In a moment of enthusiasm, they cast their garments, they cast their reeds, and Jesus is riding on a donkey into the city. But they fail to recognize the significance of the action. Mm. Because remember, especially on the occasion of those three festivals, the governor, the Roman governor of Judea, would come from Caesarea, Maritima in the in the Caesarea on the sea from the north with his legions, and they would be poised on the Antonio Fortress, which overlooked the temple area and all the entrances into Jerusalem. If this had been a messianic movement, those Roman soldiers would have been immediately upon the scene. Hmm. They enter Jerusalem. And Jesus appears to go to the temple only with the twelve. Mm-hmm. And because it's late, he then returns to Bethany, which was part of the temple precincts or the Jerusalem precincts for the occasion mm-hmm. of these pilgrimage festivals. Which was, would explain why it seemingly gets so quiet and he's just able to Absolutely. slip away like that. We go from a moment of high enthusiasm to where the crowd disperses once they're within the city. So what we have is a momentary sort of, uh, I mean, Jesus has just healed the blind man in Jericho. So around him, there are people who are certainly excited about this Nazarene uh, rabbi, teacher, healer, but, but not the full force of what it has come to 
uh, represent when we talk about Palm Sunday. And you see, we tend to uh, think of Palm Sunday as the occasion where the people clearly recognize Jesus as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He was the one who comes. That's the way we've historically have understood this. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there was the great prophecy of Zechariah that John picks up but that Mark does not, that has all the, the elements of the Markan account. There was the essential element of the entry, see your king comes. Mm-hmm. There was the messianic animal riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And there was the jubilation of the people, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, what could have been more appropriate? But Mark does not cite that oracle. And Jesus' fulfillment of the prophecy occurred in circumstances that paradoxically concealed the meaning of his action. Mm. Help us understand that, Bill. Uh, Michael, we all have heard sermons about the crowd who shouted Hosanna, and then a few days later shouted crucify Mm -hmm. him. Uh, Bill, how does that uh, play into your understanding of the scripture here? Well, oftentimes we speak of the fickleness of the crowd, and our perception is it was the same crowd that welcomed Jesus that then turned upon him. Mm -hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. Really? The group that enthusiastically enters into Jerusalem with Jesus are Galileans, they're from Parthia, they're from Babylon. They're pilgrims. You know, they are pilgrims. Mm -hmm. The group that cries out, crucify him, when Pilate says, what do you want me to do with Jesus, who is the so-called king of Israel, crucify him, or king of the Jews, Uh, that crowd was made up of Jerusalemites themselves. It is an entirely different crowd. The rabble, the people that the high priest had some control over, because they they did that at the response of the high priest, didn't they? Yes, they did. And in fact, John makes it absolutely clear that the issue between the crowd, as it were, and Pilate was the issue of loyalty to Caesar. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's in John chapter 19. When uh, uh, we read in uh, verse 12, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Mm. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover week, about the sixth hour. And then we have the account of the formal condemnation of Jesus. Hmm. Bill, we've, uh, we've talked about uh, a lot of the details of the so-called triumphal entry, but there's, there's still one thing left that uh, I would like to hear you explain, and that's the whole issue of Jesus riding the foal. You'll remember, Michael, that... Uh, Zechariah had spoken, Zechariah 9.9 had spoken prophetically about the fact that Jerusalem could rejoice because the king would come riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Mm -hmm. Now, the rabbis had noticed that passage, and they had expounded it along these lines. If Israel is worthy, 
your king will come to you riding upon a white horse, upon a charger. Mm. But if Israel is unworthy, the king will come riding upon a colt, Mm. the foal of an ass. The interesting fact is the people and the leadership of the people fail to recognize the significance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So the, this is the this type of prophetic activity that you spoke of earlier, the fact that he would specifically choose a foal. In fact, it's what we call prophetic realism. Mm. Jesus is acting out a parable mm. that he wants the people to hear and to see and to recognize. Mm. And yet even the disciples fail to do so. If we had been there, we would have failed Mm. to understand as well. It's only in perspective that we now look back and see, aha, this is what God was doing. Now, the interesting fact, of course, is in Revelation 19, you do see the exalted, Mm. risen Lord, the majestic one, riding upon a white horse. Mm. So, the implication is, the people of God are suddenly worthy. How did that occur? Not because they were worthy in and of themselves, but because of the cross of Christ and because of his resurrection from the dead. And that's what we anticipate on what we call Palm Sunday. always have mixed emotions hearing Dr. Lane, who was in the studio with us here. Yeah. Now he's with the Lord. Yeah, I just, it, it always, uh, it gives me pause just to hear his voice and and, uh, and hear that passion. Uh, I can uh, remember the first time I heard him teach, I was about 19, and I thought, if I could have that kind of passion for the for God's Word, uh, that's why I want to I want to hang out with this man as long as I can. Yeah, that's where it came from yes. in your life, Michael. We're going to ask you to sing again for us here. This song is called "A Violent Grace." You want to talk about this? Sure. This is just another example of trying to enter into the scriptures at the level of the imagination, trying to listen to the details that the Bible has and and uh, and see them in your mind's eye, so that you can have that full experience of standing before the cross of Jesus. Hmm. And we have to have a Good Friday experience to really appreciate Easter. We do. You 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 can't have you can't skip Good Friday. You <laughs> and that's what we tend to do, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, joining you here in the studio are Paul Eckberg and Steve Mikesell, musicians, to accompany you on this song called "A Violent Grace." Oh 
song from Michael that takes us to the halfway point in this podcast. We hope you'll stop by the Michael Card Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners about what you are learning through this podcast, or you can reach us directly when you send your comments, song requests, or questions via email. Just write to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Once again, inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And there's much more teaching and insights like what you've heard when you check out Michael's books and music. His latest is titled The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. Explore all that's waiting for you at michaelcard.com. And there's more music and conversation coming your way after this message in the studio with Michael Card. The CSB Experiencing God Bible is this month's featured resource designed to help you take intentional steps to know God personally. This edition is based on the beloved book Experiencing God by Dr. Henry Blackaby. Find revised and updated insights that will challenge you to respond to God's offer to know Him. Search for the CSB Experiencing God Bible at csbible.com. When you visit online, see how the years of ministry, teaching, and spiritual insights of Dr. Henry Blackaby have been carefully presented to be a guide in your walk with the Lord. Be sure to use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 with no caps, no spaces for your 40% discount with LifeWay. I hope you will act on this invitation to discover God in a personal and life-changing way. This study Bible will help you do just that. Search for CSB Experiencing God Bible now at csbible.com. Welcome to the second half of our session that's featuring classic segments from the Molen Studio Archives. In this part of the podcast, we're going to hear teaching and music from the program Joy in the Journey. You'll want to have your Bible open to John chapter 13 as we hear Michael discuss events that took place during the Last Supper. We always open the scriptures, and we look forward to doing that with you again today, Michael. Uh, We've enjoyed your music so much through the years, but uh, that music comes from God's Word. This is what fills your soul. This is what you like to focus on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, I can't find another good reason to sing. Hmm. 
Well, speaking of singing, will you sing for us here in the studio? Certainly. As you do each week. We're going to ask you to sing, I kind of suspect this is probably one of your favorite songs. It really is. The song is my favorite song because the theme that we're going to be talking about today is really, I think, my favorite theme, the servanthood of Jesus. Here's Michael Card in the studio with us now. The song is called The Basin and the Towel. Card at the piano here in the studio with the basin and the towel, and what a what a powerful song! Michael making his way back to this corner of the studio now from the piano. Um, the call is to community. My, I have seen you live this out in your own life. You take this seriously, Mike. 
Well, I, I take it seriously because I'm a needy person, and I, I need community. I need to be uh, accountable. People, I get patted when I'm on the road. I get patted on the back. Oh, you know, we hear that you do this and you do that, and we're just so, you know, and it's just because I'm a needy person. It's like it's like congratulating an, an alcoholic for going to AA or something. I I need that, that community. I'm so thankful that God calls me into community. Well, since Joy and the Journey comes from your home here and we come here to do the program, we get to see you at home and we get to see the relationships that you live. And it is encouraging to know that you take this seriously. Uh, let's open the word. Mm. Um, I know that uh, John is a favorite place for you to open the word. Too. It is. It is. Let's, and let's look at the passage that that song uh, came out of. And it's in uh, John chapter 13, uh, the, the foot washing. Interesting, though, uh, you have to begin, before you read John 13, 1, you have to read Luke 22, 24. You to understand what's going on here. Sure, and it's it, because it's the what immediately, I believe, what immediately precedes the story. And Luke tells us. We're that, in the upper room here, Jesus and his disciples. Right, and, and in chapter 22 of Luke, uh, Luke tells us that after the meal, um, verse 24, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, we know the disciples argued about this a lot uh, on the road to Jerusalem, the great central section of Luke, where, where they have the long journey to Jerusalem, the journey narrative, they, uh, the travel narrative, they call it. Isn't it incredible, though, that a dispute rose among them in, in front of Jesus? It's, it's hard to imagine, but... You know, uh, but you can't imagine it. Yes, I, I can imagine it. I can imagine it because I think uh, the same sort of thing happens to me, uh, uh, and to me too. Yeah, you know? and yeah. We all we all do this, so we shouldn't be too critical of, of the disciples. No, here, I guess I, I think we give them a hard time. We just need to point the finger back. Uh, <laughs> but it is important for us to understand when we turn to John chapter thirteen because you feel that uh, this goes uh, right together. It, I, I believe what Jesus does in John 13 in washing the disciples' feet is a direct response to this argument that's going on. Because, well, just a few verses down in Luke, Jesus says, the greatest among you is one who serves, or the one who rules is like the one who serves. So there's that language in Luke. Mm-hmm. But Luke, for some reason, chose not to tell us about the foot washing. But John, thankfully, who, who tells us so many things the other writers don't. 92% of John is unique. So it's almost as if Jesus is silencing their dispute by, by doing this. Right. And, and I, think there, I think there's a lot there. I think Jesus is fed up. I think Jesus has given up on words because hmm. they've talked about this a lot. Earlier in Luke, Jesus told them a parable when this argument arose, and apparently they haven't gotten it. So there, at this at this very important moment in the ministry, they start to argue about who is the greatest. So let's look at the passage in, uh, in John 13 we'll right. and start in verse 2. And, and this is something uh, you're reading from your own translation of this chapter. Right, right. So I have to bear responsibility if there's <laughs> okay. a, something. Well, this helps, though. Go ahead. Yeah. At verse 2, during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, that he would betray him. Knowing that the Father had placed all things into his hands and that he came from God and was returning to God, he got up from the table, took off his outer robe, taking a linen towel, he wrapped it around himself, which so now he looks just like a slave, mm-hmm. you know, indistinguishable mm-hmm. from the other slaves. Then he put water into a wash basin and, be, and began to wash the feet of the disciples, wiping them dry with a towel he had wrapped around himself. The, the rabbis, Wayne, the rabbis taught that every task that a slave does for his master shall 
a disciple do for his teacher except one? The rabbis taught that the disciples were not allowed to loosen the sandal thong. That's hmm. a, that was too demeaning a thing for their teacher. And when John the Baptist appears, John says of Jesus, I'm not even worthy, see, to do yes, that. Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. And that's, very, that's tied to that rabbinic statement. But here we see a humility that's greater even than John the Baptist. Jesus is willing not only to take their shoe off, but to wash their feet. And wow. that's what happened. Wow. And again, uh, according to John here, Jesus doesn't even speak. I mean, he's doing right. this in silence. I mean, consider the moment. Think about the moment. I think it makes it even more powerful. It does, yeah. yeah. He doesn't speak until Simon Peter says. Right, and and Peter's basically saying here, Jesus, you know, don't you know this is inappropriate? Because <laughs> what he's doing is, for them, is inappropriate. He came to Simon Peter in verse 6, who said to him, Lord, are you really going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you cannot understand what I'm doing now, but after these things you will understand. Mm -hmm. And Peter very characteristically says, never, ever, in the Greek it says, into all eternity. No way. No way. (laughs) Never, ever will I allow you to wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. And then Peter does a characteristic flip-flop. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. See, now he wants a whole bath. And Jesus says, the one who has already bathed is clean. He only needs to wash his feet, and you are clean, but not all of you. He knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. After he'd washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined once more and said to them, do you have any idea what I've just done for you? You call me teacher and the Lord, for so I am. So if I wash your feet, I who am your Lord and teacher, you should also wash each other's feet. I just gave you an example. What I just did, you also should do. And sometimes, uh, Wayne, I wonder why washing feet hasn't become uh, one of the sacraments of the church almost. I mean, this well, is in an some example. churches it is still practiced, yeah. and maybe that's not bad. I think it's. Uh, I've only washed feet one time. And it was uh, it was a, an awesome experience mm. for me. I recently attended a wedding of some good friends, and as a part of the ceremony, the groom washed the feet of the bride as mm. a symbol of him serving her. I thought that was very meaningful. I, I, I think I think it's one of the most deeply meaningful things that we we learn. Well, of course, we learn so many things from Jesus' life. It's hard to say this is the most, but in terms of being a pattern for our own life, I know my when I look at the music I, I do. The music I do is water that washes people's feet. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's engaged in ministry, if you can't understand what you do is washing feet, I think you're. I think there's something wrong. Mm. Um, ministry, uh, certainly mercy ministry, teaching, uh, pastoral type ministry, uh, raising children, and like your example, being married. Mm-hmm. If if your marriage is not and some part of your marriage, if that character of, of washing feet isn't there, I think uh, you're, you need to look at it again. But even in the act, there needs to be the attitude, the, the proper attitude there. Because if we just do it and say, well, i got to do this, and it's, an, it's, an, it's a duty that I need mm-hmm. to perform, rather than this is a humble act of service. I, I am not lowering myself, but I am literally serving you by, by doing this. Well... I'm not. I, sometimes I'm not so sure. It, you said we're not lowering ourselves. I think, 
I don't know. Maybe there is an element of that, huh? I think there, I think there is an element of that, and and uh, and we don't certainly we don't always feel like it. But I like what Bonhoeffer said. He said sometimes you have to do a dead work hmm. to make faith possible. I think mm-hmm. sometimes you you submit sort of in humility and in obedience to washing feet, even though you don't feel like yeah, it. Actions, uh, our feelings will follow our actions. And, yeah. I think that's what happens. I, I've I've had that experience just at home with my wife and with the kids. I won't feel like. <laughs> Taking the garbage out, <laughs> yeah. fixing breakfast, whatever task, changing a diaper, whatever thing, you know, I might not feel like that. But in the midst of it, you submit sort of in obedience, and mm. in the midst of it, it is a joy. God mm. gives you the, the joy beyond. Well, as we continue to think about the basin and the towel, I want to go back to that song later, by the way, Michael. Now that we're beginning to understand uh, just how deep the lyric of that song runs uh, through the scripture here, I want to go back to that in a moment. But help us understand more about the basin and the towel. Well, I... I want to look at a minute uh, for a minute at Peter's response because I think sometimes uh, that is our response. Jesus comes to to Peter. Jesus lowers himself to to wash Peter's feet. Jesus does something that is really uh, unacceptable in in many ways that the master would wash the feet of the disciple. And Peter looks at him and says, I'm never going to let you do that. Mm. This is not, Jesus, this is not appropriate Mm. in this sort of extravagant demonstration of love, which is what it is. Jesus loves these blockheads. That's why he's doing (laughs) this. Um, I will never allow you to do that. And then Jesus says, well, unless you do, you have no part in what I'm doing. And that I, I struggle with that for a long time to sort of untangle what what is going on there. But I think I think what Jesus means is, Peter, how can you be a part of what I'm doing until you understand? To reach this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and how can how can you reach this point until you submit in humility to Jesus' servant lordship? Jesus is our servant savior. You know, he is washing us. He's washing us with his blood. I mean, there's nothing to wash their feet. He's washing us with his blood. Yeah, don't you think some pride comes in here? You know, Peter says, you know, I, I don't want you doing this well, to who, me. Who do you think it was arguing about who was the greatest? I mean, it, it <laughs> Probably had, Peter. It had to have been Peter because Peter is the one who comes up and says, even if everyone else falls away, I'll never fall away. See, mm-hmm. look at all we've left to follow you. Peter struggled in particular with pride. And mm-hmm. apparently none of the other disciples objected to Jesus washing their feet, but Peter just can't bear it. It's too much. And this was an important lesson for Peter to learn. So sometimes we're in the position where others uh, need to serve us, and we need to humbly accept that as as uh, as coming from God, their I, service to God. I think so. But before we're fit to become servants ourselves, we I think servanthood is not something that comes natural to fallen Men and women, we have. This is a lesson we have to learn. Yeah, and to be it's served. getting increasingly difficult in in culture, in society. I mean, in in American society. Yeah, I, I think you were speaking earlier. Said you know we value service. <laughs> we have this idea of going to a restaurant not being served. We we know what it should feel like, but very rarely do we uh, see that it's it's something that should come from us. Mm-hmm. But isn't there a deep satisfaction, an almost undescribable satisfaction that comes? when you are in tune with the Spirit and it works the way that it's supposed to, and you've been used as a servant. Yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's, a, it's an experience, I think, of God's grace that's unlike anything else uh, I, I've ever experienced. When, when I can uh, go on stage and, and play as a foot washer, 
Hmm. Uh, I know in the first place it clarifies things. It gives me a direction, a purpose that nothing else does. Uh, I think my other my other favorite uh, passage where we see Jesus as the servant Lord is John 21, where he that's the second miraculous catch of fish, where he fixes breakfast for his disciples. And then it, yeah, as a, again, these are pictures here, kind of snapshots. They're, and th- I think they're they're all through the Gospels. We need when to linger and, and, and see these pictures. We do, we? Yeah. we do. He, when the disciples are tired, he's sensitive and he takes them aside so they can rest. He's he's always looking for them. He's uh, the cup of cold water. He wants their needs to be met as as uh, the servant Lord that he is. He is our servant savior he is our savior king uh and i think you 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 don't know who jesus really is until you understand this aspect of this who he is it's the shape of his life uh to to serve us and he's serving us right now Mm -hmm. right now he's interceding before the father for us right now he tells us he's preparing a place just for us i think we need to respond by becoming servants as well Mm -hmm. Michael, not only is Jesus doing that for us now, interceding for us now, but we read in Scripture that there's coming a day when he'll he'll do it in a different way. Yeah, he's the same yesterday, today, yeah. and forever. I so, like that. Yeah. yeah. So if he is the servant Lord, it will always be in Scripture there for us. And I think in Luke 12 we see that in at the wedding supper of the Lamb, that great party that history is going to. That's where history is going, mm. by the way. It's going that's, to a party. That's the culmination. It's good news, isn't it? Mm. Uh, but Jesus is going to do exactly what he did in John 13. You, you see it in uh, 37b. That is the second half of verse 37. Okay. Uh, this is a parable about uh, the the second coming, about the wedding supper of the Lamb, the so, wedding so, banquet. So picture this banquet that we're, all believers are a part of. All, we're all in heaven. Mm-hmm. We're all there. In verse 37b, Jesus says of himself, I tell you the truth, he, that's Jesus, the master of the banquet, he will dress himself to serve, which is just what he did in John 13. He took off his coat and wrapped a towel around his waist. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Hmm. And what I what I ask people is, are you ready for that? At the wedding supper of the Lamb, when the risen Lord, when the Lord of glory comes to you and says, is that chair comfortable? Can I get you some more you know, bread or, or whatever it is we're having? Uh, what I tell people is, don't be like Peter and say, Lord, this is not appropriate. I'll never let you do this for me. <laughs> because I think Jesus may be tempted to say, unfortunately, you don't know who I am. Mm. But I think that's the moment where we'll see this yesterday, today, and forever. It comes together. All coming together. Yeah. Yeah. Our servant Savior waiting on us, even at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Michael, let me ask you a personal question. As we talk about uh, the basin and the towel today as a, as a part of our journey, this is a part of what we are to do as followers of Christ. And I know that, you know, like you're like all of us, you, you struggle with some of these things. But I know, too, that you've, you've had some wonderful examples of how people have served you and how God has given you opportunities to serve other people. Any, any stories that, that come to mind? Well, Wayne... Um Again, I, I don't think this is something that comes naturally. I think it's something that you have to learn from other people. And I have been blessed. Boy, there's, there, there are three major individuals in my life that I can say were genuinely servants to me. That is, they served me to get nothing back, you know. There's no uh, agenda. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's that's the thing I still struggle with. I do things for people, and I want affirmation or I want something. <laughs> I don't think I want anything, but I want something. <laughs> 
But um, uh, Dr. William Lane, who we have on this program, mm-hmm. uh, has been such an incredible servant to me, the sort of person you can call in the middle of the night. And and uh, I, I, okay, I can remember one time, I'll tell you, I was on the road. This was 15 years ago, Louisville, Kentucky, doing a concert. And I don't know if it was, I don't know what it, if it was a nervous breakdown or whatever it was. I just know that I was going through a lot of stuff, a lot of attack. And it had been going on for a long time. I, I felt the, the Satan wanted me out of the ministry. Mm. And, uh, and Bill at that point was in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is a couple of hours away. Well, somehow he heard that I was not in a good place. And Bill got in his car and drove all the way up there two hours mm. and surprised me. Just I was, I was sitting backstage waiting to go on. And here, of all people, here comes Dr. William Lane to embrace me and to pray with me. And, uh, it's a humbling experience, oh, isn't it? It was awesome. I'll never, I'll never forget that. So I, I think the people that are listening, I think a lot of us can look. If you look hard in your life, you'll know, you, you'll recognize those sorts of people that God has given to you, those sorts of gifts. And I say, look hard at those people and learn, learn from them. And there are people listening who are feeling disappointed because they are at the point of need, maybe a similar need that you expressed or Mm -hmm. maybe a different kind of need, but they're at that point of need and there isn't anyone to come to them with the basin and the towel, except one. (laughs) I almost got you there. (laughs) There isn't anyone, but, 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 yeah, but there, yeah, but there is, there is that one who washes our feet with the water of his word, who... Mm who invites us to breakfast the way he did in John 21, who, as we said before, is interceding before the Father. The book of Zechariah shows us the picture of Satan, the accuser, uh, standing before the throne of God. Devil means the one who throws across accusations at us. He's standing before the throne, and he looks at my life, Wayne, and your life, and he says, what about to God, what about this, what about that? And Jesus stands before the Father and and shows him those scars and says, what about this? Mm. And uh, God says, debt canceled. You know, He's interceding for the Father for us. So for those people who are uh, longing to have their feet washed, to have their lives washed, we, we commend to you the servant Savior. He may be the only one, but he is enough. He is the one, yeah. Well, as we understand these things better now after looking into the Word today, Michael, can we go back to the song that you wrote? And and you wrote the song from studying John chapter Mm -hmm. 13 here. It's called The Basin and the Towel. Let's go back and let's, uh, let's think more deeply about what you've written and how it applies to our lives. Michael Card, as he moves over to the piano here with The Basin and the Towel. And the space between ourselves sometimes
fitting song from Michael that brings us to the end of this session in the studio. If our time together has been used by the Lord to aid in your spiritual preparations for Holy Week, please take a moment and pass along your comments to us. You can also share the link with a friend or post a review of this podcast. We're glad to point you to the wonderful resources from our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. This month, we're featuring the CSB Experiencing God Bible. Based on the insights of Dr. Henry Blackaby's teaching, this unique study Bible is designed to help you develop a personal connection with God. When you visit csbible.com, search for the CSB Experiencing God Bible. When you order, use the promotion code CARD40, typed with caps and no spaces, to receive your 40% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay. Look for the CSB Experiencing God Bible at csbible.com. And join us again next week for another podcast session. Now for Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We're all glad you've spent this time together with us in the studio with Michael Card. And before we go, we hope you'll enjoy this week's bonus track from Michael. On this their final night They bicker and they fight Still they are slaves to men And not yet slaves to Christ He would give up on words Too tired to speak So he took up the towel And washed their filthy feet The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more they can say the wordless lesson that will set them free tell me how much more a servant could he be he took a loaf of bread he broke it and he said take this my body and remember me He took the final cup And as he raised it up This covenant is new My blood poured out for you The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more That they can say The wordless lesson that will set them free Tell me how much more a servant could he be? He is the slave who always serves himself and makes of himself the final meal. Lived out in flesh so we could see. Tell me how much more a servant could he be? He is the wine and bread. Too much to comprehend He leads us from his knees And serves us as a friend In time they'd finally hear The message made so clear Who is the greatest one? It is God's servant son The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more that we 
The wordless lesson that will set us free Tell me how much more a servant could he be How much more a servant How much more a servant How much more a servant could he be Thank you.